following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. What I'm holding in my hand is a packing peanut. And this is not like the uh, typical packing peanut. You know the ones that are like the little figure eight? You know what I'm talking about? This is not like that. This one looks just like a white cheese doodle. Okay? Now, the story I'm about to tell you, I'm not proud of. (laughs) Earlier this week, we got a a box and someone had ordered something. It came in um, and the delivery person dropped it off. And I saw it just sitting there in the office. And I saw inside, I opened up to see what was in it. And I saw a box filled with these packing peanuts. And I had... Um, two thoughts go through my mind. The first thought was, those look remarkably like cheese doodles. And then the second thought I had was, I bet I could get Pastor Frank to eat one of those. (laughs) And so I did what anyone would do in my situation. I got a bowl, (laughs) filled it with cheese doodles, and I walked down the hall looking for Pastor Frank, and I, I, I planned the whole thing out. I put something else in my mouth, so I was chewing it. I was just kind of casually like this, like I'd just been eating some of these cheese doodles. And I walked down to the, the, the offices where the staff that work on the discipleship side, Pastor Frank's our pastor of discipleship, and uh, discipleship pastor, and, and I walked down there, and, and he wasn't there. And so I saw um, our, our discipleship coordinator, Michael. Now, some of you uh, may know Michael, some of you may not know Michael, but Michael, he... He probably is the smartest guy uh, in the office. I mean, he's really, really sharp. The thing he has going against him is that he's only been in the office for a couple months, so he hasn't learned that he can't trust anyone he works with. (laughs) And so I walk into the office. I'm like, hey, do you know where Frank is? I'm kind of chewing on something. He's like, no, but he's like, you know, what do you got there? And I said, oh, they're white cheddar. And he reaches in and gets them. He's like, huh, they're, they're kind of fluffy, and tosses it in his mouth. And before I can stop him, immediately swallows it. I've been concerned for his digestion all week. So then what happens, I'm like, all right, well, if Michael falls for this, clearly Frank is a sitting duck, okay? I mean, this is... All right, and uh, Frank rounds the corner. He doesn't. Even, he never. He didn't see what happened. He doesn't even look at me, and he just says, "Whatever you're doing here, I'm not going to buy into it." And walks right into his office. Didn't fall for it. Didn't even ask questions. Just right into his office. And I tell you, Pastor Frank, a lot smarter than he looks. Okay, a lot smarter than he looks. That Pastor Frank. Okay, now here's the situation. You've got Michael and you've got Frank. Okay. The thing with Frank is he's been on our team long enough that he knows to be wary of people just offering unidentified food around, okay? Michael, unfortunately, was not ready for that and didn't learn what he had done until it was too late. Okay, here's what we're talking about today. We're talking about this call that we have to leadership, this call that we have to be influencers in our spheres, and there's something that this passage talks about that it's, it's actually a trap it's preparing us for. 
But what's so difficult about this trap is if you are not looking for it, you will fall into it. You'll swallow it down before it's too late. If you're not looking for it, it's a trap. Now, here's the background to this study that we're doing. We're in week six today in in this study called Upside Down. And the idea is that God has placed every single one of us in in a sphere, whether it's a a family sphere, uh, a group of friends, whether it's our workplace, whether it's uh, the school that we work at or attend, he's put us in one of those spheres intentionally. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just something he's like, oh, well, if you're there, then let me work in your life. No, he's placed each one of us specifically in those environments with an agenda. He's got a mission for us. He's got something he wants us to do to impact that sphere. He, he has a way that he wants us to be a change agent in that sphere. Now, we're looking at this very interesting part of the Bible. It's a letter called First Thessalonians, and there are these three of very catalytic missionaries by the name of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And these guys were pivotal figures in the early spread of Christianity. That was a movement that spread like wildfire. And they're going from city to city sharing the truth about Jesus. And they get to Thessalonica, and while they're there, their enemies say this about them. They say, the men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And they're exactly right exactly what they had been doing, and that's what they're supposed to be doing. Paul, Silas, and Timothy write this letter back to the Christ followers in Thessalonica, to the Thessalonians. They write them and they say this, be imitators of us. And then in chapter 2, they say, here's how we lived among you. And so he's, they're giving them these attributes, these qualities, these values, and saying, imitate us. And they were world changers. They're saying, Follow in our footsteps, be world changers with us, and here's what an attribute of a world changer is. So we're looking at these qualities. These are not simply leadership principles. They are, but they're not just simply leadership principles like from the standpoint of how to, how to manage someone, how to work with people. These are the type of leadership principles that are the qualities that start movements, these are the, the qualities that, are, that change an entire culture for good, turns a family around, affects a whole company, affects a whole branch, a whole school, a whole classroom. These are that changes a whole social group. Th- these are the type of qualities that are in world changers. So we're reading through these, realizing our calling to be world changers in our spheres and, and imitating these qualities in our lives as well. We're looking at... 1 Thessalonians 2, we're going to look at verse 5. If you uh, have a Bible or Bible app, open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Here's what it says. Paul, Silas, and Timothy say, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know. We discussed that last week. That was the attribute we looked at. But then they say this, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Now they've given a a lot of these different attributes along the way. They say, you know, one of the things, we we had boldness, so have boldness. You're going to have to have courage. They've talked about you're going to have to be committed to the truth. 
They talked about how you can't be a people pleaser. We've talked about each one of these. Talk about how you, you can't be susceptible to or be using flattery. Be sincere. Deal in sincerity. And then this week he says, we never came with a pretext for greed. And we're going to talk about greed in just a second. We're going to talk about what a pretext for greed is. But before we do that, let's talk just about what, what does the word greed mean? Now, this is a term we're all familiar with. The Bible, um, this, I'm sorry, the dictionary just de- defines greed just very simply as excess desire. We know what greed is. You can be greedy for all different kinds of things. We typically think about greed for money, but you can, there's greed for all different kinds of things. In fact, um, on Tuesday night, we will witness greed for candy. Now, I don't know how your family handles um, various holidays or, or, or specifically Halloween. There's all different ways families choose to, to follow this. And my encouragement to you, church, is go before the Lord and, and discern how God is leading your family to handle Halloween. Some families, what they do is they say, you know what, Halloween, it's all about you know, celebrating darkness and there's all these kind of bad things. And so some families, they'll say, you know what, we're just not going to have any part of it. And they're, they're going to kind of step back and say, we're just going to move on as if it's, it's not there. And maybe that's how God's leading your family. That's fine. Some families handle it a little bit differently. Some families say, you know what, we're going to take out the bad, but we're going to leave the good. We're going to take out the bad of the inappropriate darkness, but we're going to keep the good. We're going to have fun costumes, wholesome costumes. We're going to keep the, the candy and the treats. We're going to get friends together, and they're going to take out the bad and, and, leave and celebrate the good. That's great. Some families, and this is how Rebecca and I handle it in our family, we say, you know what, we're going to enter in and redeem this particular holiday. And so what we do is we sit out on our driveway. We usually have like a little table out there and we have really good candy. And the reason we do that is because this is one of the few times that we in South Florida actually talk to our neighbors. And so we say, hey, it's a great opportunity to get to know our neighbors, influence them, maybe invite them to church, get, get into conversation with them, maybe have some other friends over and all kind of sit out and engage them. However you handle that, the mo- most important thing is to go before the Lord and ask God what he's calling for you to do. And whichever those scenarios you operate, when you're handing candy to children, I bet you've never had a child when you put candy into their bag or their little bucket say, oh, I'm sorry, that's a little too much. Here you go, let me give you some back. I've decided 10 is my limit this, this Halloween. Just going to hit a couple houses and go on home for an early bedtime, okay? You've probably never had that happen because they have excessive desire for candy, okay? Some of you have already eaten all the candy you bought for Halloween and have to go out and buy some between now and Tuesday, okay? Excessive, excessive desire or greed can happen in all different ways. But here's the thing about greed. Greed is not like other sins. It's tricky. It sneaks up on you. Okay, I want to show you what I mean. The same author of 1 Thessalonians, Paul, this is what he said about greed in another letter. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, I just want to read verse 9 to you. Here's what he says about greed. But those who desire to be rich, in other words, desire excess, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, look at this, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Greed 
is unique from other sins, so to speak, in that it's a snare. It's a trap. When they're talking about snare, one of the things they would do in this time period is they would um, trap birds. That was a common thing they would hunt for. And they would keep them um, for various reasons. And so what they would do is they would take, like a, a, they'd make a wooden rectangle with, with these wooden bars and they'd put a net in the middle and there'd be a hinge and they'd spread it like this and they'd put a like bait in the middle and a trigger in the middle so that when the bird walked up and started eating the bait, the whole trap would close over them and the bird would be captured into the net. You tracking with me? It was a snare. It was designed to capture these birds. Here's what it's saying about greed. Greed is a snare. It's a trap. Well, how does it operate like that? One of the, a, a pastor that, that we follow uh, is a guy by the name of Tim Keller, and I heard him say this once about his experience in ministry. He's seasoned as a pastor. He's actually just recently retired from uh, working at his, at his church, and he said, he said this one time about greed. I thought this was so inter- interesting and, and relatable. He said, in all of my decades of being a pastor, I've had people confess all different kinds of sins over the years. Pastor, can you help me with this? I'm struggling with this. And can you give me some insight on how to, to fight this? I, I'm kind of getting tripped up by this sin. He said all different kinds of sins. He said, but never once did someone come to him and say, man, I'm just so greedy. He said, I've never had someone say, I just really struggle with greed. There's something inherent. This is how greed is a trap. There's something inherent with greed. We know what greed is. You can spot it in someone else. It's an excessive desire. But there's something in the sin of greed that when someone's into it, you don't realize it's trapping you until it's too late. It's not like lying. Lying is typically willful. Even if it's like a reflex, like you got kind of boxed in the corner and you said a lie, like you know you did it. And now it's kind of pulling you in because it's another lie to cover that, another lie to cover that, and it's all the immediate stress of, oh, I told a lie. You're immediately aware. That's not with greed. The thing with greed is because it's excessive desire, it's very rare that someone says, I know this is so opulently excessive, but I want it anyway. That's not how it works. It's what's happening is our perspective of what what is excessive is changing. So what we desire no longer seems excessive. We think we're just desiring something that we should desire. We deserve to desire. It's justifiable to desire. It's fair to desire that and want that and pursue that. This is not excessive. And so what happens is we walk into the trap of greed, we don't see it coming until it's too late. It's sneaky like that. It's undercover. We're numb to it. That's how most people think, well, I'm not a greedy person. The better route to go is for all of us to stop and say, where am I greedy? Where is there greed in my life? So what Paul says is we never came with greed, but what he more, what, more accurately what he says is we never came with a pretext for greed. Now, what is pretext for greed? Some translations put it like this. We never came with a, uh, with a cover with greed behind it. 
a cloak, one translation said, a cloak over our greed. In other words, we didn't come among you in Thessalonica. We didn't come among you with saying, yeah, we're here to inspire you. We're here to teach you. But really, behind the surface, behind that covering, there, behind there's this pretext there. Behind that cloak, we actually need something or want something from you. So that's not how we operated. And God knows our heart. Now, we're bringing each of these attributes into, into the sphere of wherever you're influenced, wherever you have been given influence. Your friends, your family, your work, your school, your neighborhood, wherever you've been given influence, we're taking these qualities in. So here's the question we have to ask. With that place of influence, are we using that for what we can get for ourselves? Or what we can use that, inf that influence, that position, as fervently as we can for the sake of those around me and the group as a whole. Because leadership and influence and position immediately reveals selfishness or selflessness. It immediately reveals greed. Here's why. Once you have position, once you have authority, there are things that come with that. There's... There's more freedom, there's more access, there are perks, there's seniority, there's more resources, there's more connections, there's more things you have access when you have position, when you have influence, when, when you get that promotion, when you are finally the senior person. There are things and perks that come with it and it will immediately reveal, am I going to take all of that and say, That's, is it for me? Or am I saying, now that I, I'm in a more advantageous position to benefit those around me and benefit the organization as a whole. Because the bottom line of leadership is you've been placed into that position. You've been placed into that specific uh, position of influence. You've been placed there and it's not for you. It's to steward the vision of that organization, to steward the vision of that branch, to steward the vision of that family, or to steward the, the direction God wants to take that friend group. So the bottom line question is, is this what I get out of it? Or is this something for someone else? Is this something to serve other people? It boils down to this. Leadership is so tricky and immediately reveals our greed and selfishness because of one concept, entitlement. Because when I finally get that position that I want, entitlement says, well, I worked hard for this. I earned this, so I deserve fill in the blank. And those two words are some of the most dangerous words you could ever utter or think. I deserve. In fact, I want you to look at how it's written in your study guide. We're going to pull up here in the, in the screens. I want you to think about it like this. I deserve is the beginning of the end. Here's what I mean. Did you notice it's saying that greed or selfishness is a snare, it's a trap? I want you to think about the difference between a snare or a trap and a weapon. A lot of times we think, oh yes, yeah, sins and these sin struggles, they're weapons that will hurt us. They're weapons of the enemy that will hurt us. What are weapons? Weapons wound or kill or maim. Weapons wound. 
A snare is different. A snare is not simply trying to wound. A snare is trying to capture. I want you to think, it's, it's a fish hook. It's not just trying to hurt the fish. You want it. You're hooking it and reeling it in. You're not just wounding it and leaving it. You want to capture it. You want to imprison it. Imprison it. You want to own it. You want to control it. The sin of greed is not just going to hurt you. It wants to own you. It wants to hook you and reel you in. It wants to lay out the bait so you eat the bait and then it's got you and it's clutches. So when I utter, I deserve, when I think, well, I deserve this, it's like, it just set the hook, and now it's going to reel you in. It's like when I say, well, pff, I've worked hard for this. Don't you realize, man, I've gone for so long and never been appreciated. So you know what? I deserve some of these perks. I deserve some of what's, what I get coming to me. That's like you've just started to nibble at the bait, and the, and the whole trap just shut on you. I deserve is the beginning of the end. Because at some point as a leader, you will come to this crossroads. Am I going to do what's better for me? Or am I going to do what's better for the organization? And when I choose to do what's better for me rather than the organization, I've just failed as a leader. Am I going to do what's better for me? This crossroads is going to happen and it's going to reveal our selfishness. Am I going to do what's, what's in my best interest? Am I going to pick what do I get out of it? Or am I here to, to build up these people around me? When you're entering into that sphere of influence, you're going to have to ask, you have to pick one or two perspectives. I deserve or I serve. It's one or the other. I have been entrusted with this influence on this group of friends. I've been entrusted on this influence on, these, on my family members. I've been entrusted with this influence at work or this position at work or this position in school. I've been entrusted with this. So do I walk in and say, well, this is for me. Or do I say, no, I've been entrusted with this and I am here to serve the best interest of the, of the group, of the organization, of the company, of the school, of the family, of the friend group, and of these people that work around me. I am here fundamentally, is it because, so that I deserve, so I can get for me, or is it that I can serve? I'm going to have to pick which one. Because if I go down the I deserve route, what the Bible says is that doesn't just hurt you reels you in to ruin and destruction. Let me show you how this plays out. Let's start in this first sphere of our family. You know, if you're blessed with a spouse, man, that's a gift. You've been given a gift. If you're blessed with children or children one day or grandchildren, that, the Bible says that's a gift from the Lord. They're not there to meet your needs. They don't exist to meet your expectations. He's given them to you, entrusted them with you, and he says, I've placed you in their life because I have a great plan. Your spouse is not just simply there to meet your needs. You're there to serve. I've brought you together so that you can continue stirring each other up, drawing each other, making each other into the person that I've called you to be. I have a vision for your marriage that you're serving each other to accomplish. 
I've given you these children to raise up in a godly way, to raise up to be these incredible worshipers of God and these incredible warriors for Him, to spread love throughout the world. He says, I've brought these, these gifts to you. So instead of saying, being demanding and entitled, instead say, what a blessing. God, how can I serve them? But watch out if I fall down the path of I deserve. Man, I work so hard during the day that when I come home, man, I just need some space to myself. I just need everyone to, to, to man, I, I shouldn't have to come home and then keep working so hard because I work so hard all day. You know what I deserve? I deserve to just get some time by myself. I deserve to go do this or go do that. And you know what I might be missing out on? My moment to pour into the most important people in my life. Man, I, I do so many things for this family that always go overlooked and no one ever says thank you. So I deserve, and here's the problem with I deserve, is right after I deserve comes resentment that I'm not getting what I feel justifiably that I should be getting. And so resentment comes in and it's kind of polarizing me away and I'm resentful. And the moment I say I deserve, I've been, the, the hook has been set and I'm reeling in because watch how this works. When I'm resentful and I say I deserve, Watch out when you find someone else who will give you what you think you deserve because you'll be drawn to that person. And you know what that's called? An affair. It's not just reeling you in to wound you. It wants to own you and ruin you. I deserve or I serve, you're called, if you have a position of influence, if you're a parent or a spouse, model serving so that your children don't see, well, I'm the parent, so I get. But they're watching, one day when I have a leadership position, I use that to serve. Said, I serve or I deserve. How about in our workspace? I've been entrusted with this position you've been entrusted with your position so do you use it are you saying well I've worked hard for this so I should get I, I this is what I justifiably want I'm going to take advantage of I deserve because here's what's going to happen when you come to that point you're going to have to make that decision at work you're going to make a decision if that's the route you're going to go you're going to make the decisions that are for your best interest and it's going to be to the detriment of the organization or the company and you failed you're there to serve but watch out, because here's what happens. This is, it brings you to ruin if you go the I deserve route. Because you'll have all this resentment of, I'm always overlooked here. I'm never appreciated. I deserve more than this. I deserve to get more than I'm being compensated or to get more than my, the benefits are here or to get more recognition. And one day, something's going to be sitting right there for you that you've not been given, but that you could take without anybody knowing. And after all, you deserve it, right? And no one's going to know, and I deserve getting this, so you'll take it. Do you know what that's called? Embezzlement. It's not just trying to wound you, it's trying to reel you all the way in and ruin you. How about at, your, how about at church? Your church sphere. Church, do you know this right here, it's not for you. This isn't for you. 
It's not a matter of, well, what, how did I like it today? Did I, what did I get out of it? Did I like the songs that were picked? Did I like the way they were handled? Did I, did I like the topic that we discussed? It's not for you. Every time the Bible talks about worship, it talks about offering worship. Do you know who we're offering worship to? Who? God. This is not for you. This is for Him. So it's not a matter of, I'll wait until it's the song that I like. Or the volume that I like, or the style that I like, or the lights or the color that I like. It's not until like, I'll sit back and I'll wait for you to, to get my attention. Or it's not, well, I wish, you know, why do we have these ministries and not, the, I wish we did this, so I'm not going to get involved until we have this. This is not for you. It's for him. It's for God. We come and we sing, offering to God. We come and we say, God, whatever songs you have planned today, I am going to sing them with all of my heart for you. I'm offering this up to you. I'm going to, whatever text that we're studying, you've obviously got that to speak to me, so I'm going to lean in. God, whatever ministries are offered or whatever opportunities, I'm going to get involved for you. It's, it's I'm serving you. First and foremost, it's not driving away, analyzing, did I like it? It's not for you. And beyond that, when we come together, first it's for God, but secondarily, the foundation of Christian community is we serve each other. So it's first for God and then second for each other. We're here to minister to those people, the brokenhearted, the lost, the far from God, to each other. But watch out if I deserve creeps in because it's going to set the hook. And I say, well, I don't like the way we do this, and I wish we did that, and what happens is this resentment, and here's the thing about bitterness and resentment, I can't help myself, but I go to this person, can you believe that we do this? I wish that we do this differently, or one day I, I hope that they start doing this, and I can't help myself, but to spill that over to the other people, and you know what's just happened? It's called division. And you've now, if you do that, you have torn apart the bride of Christ the wife of Christ. That could be the most terrifying thing of all, this, all of the options we've just talked about. Because it doesn't just want to wound you, it wants to ruin you. Watch out. Greed is not like other sins. It's tricky. No one thinks we're greedy because the excessive desires that we have, we think we're justified. So unless we're watching for it, we won't find that selfishness. Unless you're watching for it in, the, in that leadership sphere that you're in, where you influence your family, your friends, your work, unless you're watching for it and saying, I am not going to be selfish and greedy. It's not for me. It's for this group. It's for the people that I get to love on. It's for them. It's either going to continue to feed your selfishness or you're going to be able to bleed it out through the position that you've been given by pouring in and serving the people around you. The spheres you're in, is it I deserve? Is it what's in it for me? Or is it I serve? Here's your challenge for this week. Here's your homework. Inside your study guide, if you, if you look inside there on week six, the last page, it's page 44. Here's the challenge. It says, take some time this week. It's on this page. Take some time this week and to think through all of the ways, how, what a gift 
you've been given by the positions of influence you have in your life. They're gifts. And when you thank God, you'll spend time thanking God, you'll stop saying, I deserve this. Wow, this is such a gift from God. Because Christian, if you're bearing the name of Christ, the default mode of Jesus was not selfish. It was selfless. He had all the riches of heaven. And the Son of God left all that behind, came to earth where he knew he'd be impoverished, he'd be insulted, he'd be rejected, he'd be humiliated, he'd be tortured, and he'd be killed. And then worst on top of that, he'd take the wrath of God, sin and death itself, onto his shoulders to serve us. The default mode of Christ was I am here for you, not you are here for me. I am here for you. And so if we're following in his footsteps and taking his, bearing his name, our default mode will be being selfless. Do you realize he's called you to some incredible vision? Whatever, where you're at right now, not where you're at one day, where you're at right now, in the school, the classroom, the branch, the department, the company, the the home, the neighborhood, the friends. He's placed you right now. He has something he wants you to do. He's got a a way he wants you to be a catalyst for change. But if you're going to go in there saying, what do I get out of this sphere? You're going to miss it. If you're going to be a world changer, if we're going to be world changers, we've got to be a force of selflessness going out into this world. And if there's one thing to cling to, cling to the gospel. Because the gospel bleaches out your selflessness, your selfishness. Because the gospel tells you what you deserve, what you really deserve. Christian, you know what we deserve? Every one of us? Because of the sin in our life, it doesn't matter what we do, we deserve an eternity away from God in hell. That's what we deserve. But the the gospel also tells you what you've been given. You've already received everything, Christian. You've received eternity an eternity at the right hand of God Almighty, the source of all beauty and glory and joy. You're right there at His hand, in His presence, enjoying all of eternity with Him. You've been given everything. How could we be grabby and, and clawing and desiring all this other things that the world has to offer? You've already been given everything so we can give this life to serve. So we go empowered by the gospel, ready to be selfless so that God can use us to turn this world upside down. Can we take a quiet moment of just between us and God? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Christian, can you just take a second just quietly in your seat and just thank God the gifts he's provided in your life. The privilege 
of the friends and the family and the place of work and the place of, that you're an influence, the privilege. And just surrender it. Say, God, I'm here to serve. Show me how to do that. It's not about me. It's not for me. But maybe you're here and you're saying, look, I want to take that first step with God. I want to receive that gift of salvation. I, I, want, to, I want to know that I'm going to be in heaven for eternity. How do I know that? Well, it's just a simple gift. He came to serve you. He died on the cross. He's offering this to you for, as a free gift. He paid for your sins, washed them away so that you can have permanent forgiveness. You can receive permanent forgiveness from God. Right now, you can take that step and receive the gift of salvation. Is that you? Maybe if that's you, just take this second where you're saying, look, I want to know that I'm saved. Then just pray this quiet prayer right there in your seat, just between you and God, in your heart. Say this to God. God, thank you for loving me like that, for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.